You're listening to The Bottom Bible. I'm Katie. I'm Vanessa. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by a couple of bottom-loving bitches who want to talk about sex, relationships, current events, pop culture, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. To tell me what you want from me. I, I really need it. I, I really need it. Ooh. Hello. Hi. Welcome to The Bottom Bible. I'm Katie. I'm Vanessa. And this week, we're talking about YA. Why not? Novels. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a bit of a, a long week. It's been a week. It's been a, it's Monday. Yeah. It's been a real long week <laughs> uh, on this Monday evening. Um, and we wanted to lighten our mood mm. for show hopefully lighten yours Hi- lighten your heighten lighten yours heighten. we'll heighten it we'll lighten it by heightening <laughs> so your senses we are coming up we the originally the idea was each one of us would put to, um put together a list of our top five ya novels mm-hmm. um and then my list is instantly turned into the top five ish because I have seven listed and then like four <laughs> or five series that I didn't mention because I was limited to five by my own rules. Like I, love I was the one that said, how about five each for a total of 10? I could have said anything. I scraped together. <laughs> I just, I have seven alone and one of mine. Right. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, which is probably the only one that's classifiably a YA And I... Novel. I beg to differ that if you read them as a youth, mm-hmm. it was a YA book. And YA, by our own definition, is books that are classified as YA, books that we read when we were YAs. Yes. Books given to us by YA. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. And books. You know, we, we go back a few years. Mm-hmm. So perhaps some books now will be classified in a different category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When y'all baby youths are our age. Oh, baby youths. <laughs> baby youths. Like youths. a baby Ruth. So before oh. we go any further. Oh, boy. Let us please discuss our beverage for this lovely evening. Um, Just want to say, starting off, it's delicious. It's essentially a glass full of whiskey. Um, But it is so... <laughs> As Vanessa shakes her head furiously from side to side, it is uh, called the Catcher in the Rye. Spoilers, um, but it is it's it's a rye whiskey uh, with some pulp. as far as you know <laughs> some uh, ruby red grapefruit pulp. Pulp. Yes. Leave it to Vanessa to actually pick the right kind of grapefruit, um, and then it is some honey. And a sprig of fresh rosemary. Mm, It's so, so good. I love something where you can drink it and then you get different, you get different like taste as you smell the rosemary. It's so good. So that was the original recipe, but Katie did add some bitters. Mm -hmm. Freshened it up just a bit. Which is very appropriate for (laughs) Catcher in the Rye. (laughs) Just bitter like us. So that's... mm. Yeah, I will get. I'll go. I won't spoil anything yet. But I was gonna say something. It is. This is a very strong drink. This is a grown up, very much yes. not a YA drink. It's an yes, old YA drink. <laughs> it is. What do we call her? 
This is a kind of a staunch lady, Bethel. Oh, we said. What did we say? We said it was um, a uh, it's a tough old broad. A tough old broad in the rye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She is this packing a punch. Mother. Yeah. Yeah. She's packing a punch. She is a Zelda Fitzgerald. Mm. She is a uh, mm, good. Uh, both a, a big Edie and a little Edie. Oh, all in one. Staunch. She's a staunch character. Staunch drink. Oh, it's good. Um, but it is delicious. It is not for the faint of heart. No. Um. It's really good, though. Once that honey, because the honey kind of sank immediately down to the bottom. Um, and also because we had a lot of ice in it, so it got really cold. So it didn't quite blend quite as well. Um, but really the bottom of the drink is an absolute delight. You're getting the ruby red, mm-hmm. you're getting the whiskey, mm-hmm. you're getting the, um, the honey, the bitters. It's refreshing. It's, it's delicious. It is uh, mature. Mm. I'm into it. I'm a little troubled at how quickly I'm drinking mine. <laughs> I'm going to put that down. Okay. So we are, bleh. okay. So we are talking about young adult fiction. Yes. This fine evening and who's gonna kick it off should we rochambeau uh sure rock paper scissors okay oh okay i kind of forgot the rules of rochambeau oh, so it's one, one two, two and then three I'll, one two three and then you throw so that's how we do east coast rolls okay what one west two coast? three and then throw. you shoot okay. okay one two three <gasps> katie goes first i go first okay all right scissors cut paper for those of you interested in oh, those kinds of things okay so I think I am going to start with, um, I didn't figure out how I wanted to order these, but I'm just going to let it go on the fly. So my first pick is The Outsiders. So quick summary of The Outsiders. It is a coming of age novel by S.E. Hinton. It was first published in 1967. So she goes back a bit. Um, She's vintage. And it is the basic summary of this whole story the plot uh the book details the conflict between two rival gangs divided by their socioeconomic status so this is the working class which are the greasers and then the upper class which are the social short for socials the story is told in first person's perspective by teenage protagonist pony boy curtis and y'all know that famous stay golden pony boy stay golden pony boy stay fucking golden which is from, a, I think, a Robert Frost poem. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to go read that Robert Frost poem. But that's it. I haven't read the book or seen the movie in a really long time. Ooh. And if you go back and you see the movie, if it's... I guess we should have looked up if it's streaming anywhere, but you can find it. Mm-hmm. If it's streaming somewhere, it's worth a, a watch. It is a lot of now big Hollywood names yes. just starting out. It was... Yeah. Well, Ralph Macchio, who, I mean... Had his moment in the sun. Not yeah. so much anymore. Um, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Patrick Swayze. C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, there are Rob, a lot of big names. Is Rob Lowe in it? No. I don't remember now. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see. Let's see. Look it up. And you can um, see Tom Cruise's original teeth. <gasps> his fresh teethers? His young his adult teethers? Fresh teethers. It's not... Uh, his YA teethers? It is not Hollywood. <gasps> oh, nope. That is... His very unpolished real teeth let's see if it's streaming anywhere outsiders movie um yeah see thomas howell is pony boy rough macchio is johnny um matt Dillon is in it oh rob lowe is soda pop oh soda pop that's Curtis. right yeah 
Um, Ralph Macchio is Johnny. Uh, Tom Cruise is Steve. Is Patrick Swayze Diane is Daryl. I'm gonna see. Yeah, who are the uh, Diane Lane is, is is Cherry. Cherry. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, remembering Tom stuff. Waits is in this. Excuse me? That's He's Buck Merrill. That's we have crazy. to watch this. We do need to watch this. Sofia Coppola's in this? Listen, oh. we got to watch this. Leif Garrett? <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I remember watching that in like English class. So, yeah, yeah. Something. Do you want to switch off or you want to do your whole? Yeah, I'll do, I'll do, we'll do the switchies. Okay. Yeah. So we'll end with yours because I think your list is better. Oh, well, I, it's also because I have more than five because I cheated. Perfect. Perfect. Wonderful. Um, so I did not do mine in any necessarily particular order. I just mm-hmm. like as I was writing them down as, as I remembered them. Um, top up there, though, is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret mm-hmm. by Judy Bloom. It was from yeah. 1970. Yeah. I probably read it in the early to mid 80s. I think I read it. Mine would have been like 90s. We are two different ages. <laughs> yes. Um, so Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is a classic mm-hmm. uh, center or kind of targeted at, at uh, the young ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy Bloom novels. She didn't write just for girls, just no. for boys. There, there are some books. Um, it's like, then again, maybe I won't. Like Super Fudge. All these books that were Super different fudge. ages. Tales yeah. Before all these books for different ages, boys, girls, everybody. Yeah. So, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret was the period book. It mm-hmm. seemed like every book she wrote had some sort of topic that yeah. it was about. So this was the period book where the lead character, the main character, um, Margaret Simon, she is the daughter of, um, I think it's, he's either, one parent is Jewish, one parent yeah. is like a Catholic or Christian. Christian. I can't yeah. remember. But because they're an interfaith couple, they don't really have any religious affiliation and they've yeah. raised her without going to church or temple. Yeah. Um, and she starts to like explore. Yeah, because a lot of her friends are one or the mm-hmm. other. And so like depending on like, the religion you were raised in kind of dictates a little bit of your social life. Like she has friends yeah. that are of both religion or, you know, different religions. But their social life, like, you know, one group goes to the Y, the other group goes to like another sort of sure. after school activities yeah. thing. Um, and everybody around her friends around her are starting to develop. They're starting to hit puberty. So they're getting their periods. They're getting bigger breasts. They're getting, you know, hair under the arms, hair on their vagina. So it's her constantly comparing herself to the other people that she's, you know, her other friends that are around her and dealing with this kind of question of religion so she starts to talk to god mm-hmm. and so that's where the title are you there god it's me margaret that's, that's how what she, she says like every time she that's talks how to she god, starts right? her yeah. like they're not prayers but that's how she starts her like her chat sessions her chat sessions with <laughs> with uh with god um and i don't know if they've updated the book because mm. it is very 70s yeah they talk about menstrual belts and for those that don't know Back in the day, before there was adhesive on maxi pads, your cotex, your cotex, you they were just these big, giant, bulky pads with um, extra sort of material, extra. It's not fabric, but extra. 
um, like the outside netting kind of on the front and the back. Mm-hmm. And you had to thread it through. You had a special belt and you had to thread it like, you know, yarn or um, thread through a needle into the front and back of this belt that you wore around your waist to keep the pad in place. Yeah. And this was until they got like an always pad that uh-huh. had the adhesive on the bottom. Yeah. Um, so I remember being really confused when I read that because by the time I read it, one, I hadn't had a period yet, so I didn't use any of this, mm-hmm. but there were adhesive pads yeah. by then. So I had no idea what a sanitary <laughs> belt was. I didn't know what she was talking about. And I didn't ask my mom because I, you know, didn't want her to like know what I was reading and her like threatened, you know, like take the book away from me. Yeah. She decided that it wasn't appropriate, but, um, it's kind of like a classic puberty yeah. rite of passage to read this I wonder book. If young people are still reading this book. And I don't know if like maybe she's updated it like for up, like new editions of the book have been updated mm-hmm. to kind of modernize some of the stuff. Um, but it's it's great. Like mm-hmm. it it somebody one of the characters gets their period like at a wedding and she's just waiting and like poor Margaret is just like mm-hmm. waiting for it. she's like the last one in her group one of the last ones in the group to oh, get her period. Mean. But she finds out that one of her best friends who said she had her, was one of the first ones to get her period, actually had not had her period and Mm -hmm. freaked out and started crying. And they had to go get her mom. And Margaret is something like, does she always act like this when she gets her period? And her mom was just like, it's her first time. Yeah. And that's how she finds out like one of her best friends lied about the period. Mm. Um, But I would be curious to read it again. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised, like some of these, I'm surprised that there's been like, that there hasn't been a movie I know. <laughs> made out of a lot of these. That's so true. Um, I guess now it may be like a Netflix series. Mm-hmm. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Yeah. Uh, and then it wasn't until I was kind of brushing up on the summaries. That I'd forgotten about the religion, like the me religious too. spin on yeah. the story. I forgot that she was like an inner, inner faith mm-hmm. child, which yeah. was, I mean, I guess back I mean, that was a big part was, of your social It was a bigger deal. Circle. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's where you hung out and mm-hmm. met families and people and yeah, all that stuff. Oh, how times have changed. How they've changed. Still getting our periods, though. <laughs> Still happening. Can't belt stop, or no stop. belt. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going to flip-flop back and forth. So, my... I'm going to go in kind of like an order um, with the books that I'm like, do I remember? And then like, yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to go straight into this one because it's a uh, downer. Um, <laughs> but I remember reading this book and I remember this was one of the first books that taught me how to be grateful for what I did have. Okay. Because I think when you're a young adult, it's really easy to be like, the world is hard, hormones, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. But I remember reading The Diary of Anne Frank. Yes. And that was a really, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's such a powerful mm-hmm. read. And you, I am sure classrooms around the world still discuss this book. Yeah. Um, they must. But I do remember reading this and it really... So for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a quick summary. So The Diary of, uh, of a Young Girl, also known as The Diary of Anne Frank, is a book of the, of the writings from the Dutch language diary kept by Anne Frank while she was in hiding for two years with her family during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. 
Uh, the family was apprehended in 1944, and Anne Frank died of typhus in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 1945. Um, right before the camp was liberated, I know. Too. Like, a couple of weeks, I think, before the camp was liberated. Absolutely tragic. Um, so, I think this was, like, required reading in mm-hmm. most English classes throughout the United States, and I'm sure and beyond. Um, and I remember this feeling this weird feeling of this was someone from so long ago but connecting with Mm -hmm. Anne in many many different like her relationship with her sister Mm -hmm. and they you know there were boy it it seemed it seemed surreal to think that they're in the middle of this war but yet there's still the emotions of a young girl no matter what the circumstances are that kind of teen stuff yeah for lack of a better word still plays out even in this like weird altered version of reality like their little kind of drama kind of isolated um community yeah that was in the house like just the people in hiding yeah and i remember being astonished by her sense her still sense of like hope Mm -hmm. in her writings not necessarily i mean she's she of course, you have to be realistic about what the situation is, but hope for humanity, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah that was a big, that was a big uh, book, I think, for a lot of people. But I remember made me kind of take into account, like, oh, things are so bad. It's right. okay. Yeah. And it's funny how despite being in, you know, different situation, different generation, different continent, mm-hmm. you know, that you can still relate yeah to that very human part of her like you may not be able to relate to her situation being in hiding and like the historical part of it but the emotional part of it is still really easy to relate to yeah Um, I don't know I don't know I don't I don't know if there's like a a young man a young male perspective oh, yeah. that it how it would resonate i haven't really that's quite yeah relatable yeah. as that has there been a movie is there a play yeah 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 it was um yeah shelly winters she's mrs van dan uh the young boy the guy that's there his oh, mom oh okay i remember watching this um in school you know i don't remember what grade we were in younger yeah yeah, yeah. she was peter's mom yeah peter yeah, yeah. uh in 2002 i was in amsterdam and i we went to uh to the museum and you got to go oh. through some of the rooms Ooh. um and they have some clippings of like movie star clippings that she put uh, glued up to the wall and some notes and stuff that are under glass like preserved under glass still on the walls oh um so that you could you know like the kind of making making you think like they were in hiding it was this really scary dangerous mm-hmm. uh thing that was going on and she was you know she and her sister were still teenage girls and yeah. still reading movie magazines like movie star magazines yeah and putting up pictures of artists you know like actors that they liked yeah up on the wall like it's still there's just yeah you know, it's, yeah it's so easy to feel so disconnected and see uh like historical figures especially when it's tragedy as just sort of um only the victim mm-hmm. part which of course they were but they were 
young teenage girls. They're people. Yeah. And it's easy to remove the humanity yeah, from it. There's um there's a quote that uh, the whatever the building next door to the house was, it's become part of the museum. So that mm. the house is one portion and then the you know, where they have like other displays and there's of course a bookshop and like yeah. areas where you can sit and watch things on monitors. Um, there's a big quote like above the door that says, you know, something about how um, uh, somebody had said something, you know, like, why do we focus on just this one person when so many millions of people died in concentration camps? Why is there a focus on just this one girl's diary? Mm-hmm. And the person said, you know, maybe it's because if we could feel the pain of millions of people we wouldn't be able to bear it oh so we focus on this one so that not to forget the others but Mm -hmm. just almost like to protect ourselves like it's easier to focus on this one young girl than it is to try to cope with the loss and the sadness Mm -hmm. of millions like yeah six over six million people yeah there is truth to the human like um you have a cap on mm-hmm. grief mm-hmm. you have a capacity um and and that feeling of numbness is sort of a protective right measure yeah well that's my Ooh. pick <laughs> <laughs> okay so um my next pick is another judy bloom book it's tiger oh. eyes and this is 1981 um a 1981 novel it focuses on a uh, young woman named davy wexler i never read this um i think that they were from new jersey like seaside type of jersey and her parents owned a 7-eleven her dad was killed in a holdup at the store okay and they end up uh, you know out of grief the mom kind of can't deal with it it's uh davy her little brother and the mom who are survive who survived, you know, the dad passing, and they end up moving to Albuquerque oh. to be with relatives. Uh, I think it's okay. like relatives of the father. Mm-hmm. And so she's this, you know, Jersey Shore girl who ends up get. And this was like pre that Jersey Shore. Yeah. So meaning she's just this girl who's used to being on the beach and like you know she talks about salt, air, you know, salty air and like the boardwalk and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and that now she's moved to this like desert where there's no ocean and you know anywhere in sight yeah um and her you know dealing with the loss of her dad and that her mom is kind of in this funk Mm. and can't really function and just allows the aunt and uncle to kind of take the wheel while she just you know can't can't deal Mm -hmm. and then eventually she starts like mom starts dating someone like much much later like the mom starts dating someone and like her dealing with that and then she meets this uh, this local guy who is Latino and teaches her like a little bit of Spanish and um, he's a little bit older than her and she's kind of like got a bit of a crush on him. She did have a boyfriend back home and she was actually out on a date with the boyfriend and they were oh. like making out and fooling around, not having sex, but, you know, a heavy makeout session when they heard the gunshots <gasps> and ran to the store and her dad died. Like you learn later in the the book she keeps making reference to this paper bag that she has and how every time she she sees the paper bag in her closet her heart starts thumping and like she has to like calm herself down but they never tell you what's in the bag until towards the end of the book Mm -hmm. it's the clothing she was wearing 
when the shooting happened. She and her boyfriend had been making out, fooling around. They heard the gunshots. They ran to the store and she's holding her dad in her lap when he dies. So her clothes are covered in blood. And she saved the clothes and put it in a paper bag because she didn't know what to do with them. And it was the last thing she had of her father. Oh, God. Even though it was morbid mm-hmm. and it's blood, that she said, you know, like that the, it smelled sour, like, you know, like the clothing smelled sour from like the sweat and the blood being in there for so long, but that it didn't matter because it was her father. Like uh-huh. it was the last bit of her father that she had. And she ends up like burying it in the desert, covering it up with a bunch of rocks right before her mom and her little brother end up moving back mm-hmm. home. Um, so it's like the book that deals with, because you know, I had said like all the Judy Bloom books kind of have a theme. Yeah. This one was like the grief, yeah, yeah, loss yeah. of a parent grief. And then also the guilt she felt that she'd been having a good time and fooling around with her boyfriend when this mm-hmm. happened. And she feels all this guilt of like, um, like a, almost like a block of being able to enjoy herself with a guy because the last time she like let herself go like that, mm-hmm. her dad died. So she almost feels like, oh, she let her guard down. And yeah. if she just had been like a better person, yeah, this wouldn't have happened. Kind that of weird, like survivor's guilt. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I have to read. I mean, I want to read it. It was good, and I think that it became um, Judy Bloom's son directed a movie. Oh. I I haven't seen it. I don't know how good it is, or okay. if it was like a TV movie or uh, a streaming only. <laughs> I'm just knocking everything over. <laughs> I don't know how good the the movie is. Um, but, uh, her son directed it and I can't remember the name of the actress. It wasn't somebody I was familiar with. Cause when I was looking it up, I saw the name of the actress oh, okay. who, who played, um, Davey. Oh. It would be hmm. interesting to watch. Yeah. I have to see it. Another bit of a bummer. Ooh. Well, I'm just going to keep the bummer. Do it. Train. Why uh, stop now? Rolling. Okay. So all of mine I'm realizing are like books we had to read in like <laughs> school English class. I'll get to some more fun ones. Um and a book a couple books that I've read multiple times. Um so my next pick is and I think I'm picking a lot of these because these are the first couple like these are the some of the books that I read when I was just like, oh fuck. Like <laughs> I didn't know that this could be a thing. Um so Lord of the Flies. <gasps> yes. 1954 novel by Nobel Prize winning British author William Golding. The book focuses on a group of British boys stranded on an uninhabited island and their disastrous attempt to govern themselves. Okay, so this book was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, piggy. Okay, so... I'll give you a little brief start to the to plot. In the midst of a wartime evacuation, a British airplane uh, crashes on or near an isolated island in a remote region of the Pacific Ocean. The only survivors are boys in their middle middle childhood or pre-adolescence. Mm-hmm. So two boys, the fair-haired Ralph and an overweight, bespeckled boy named Piggy, find a conch, um, which Ralph uses as a horn to convene all the survivors to one area. Ralph is optimistic, believing that grown-ups will come to rescue them, but Piggy realizes the need to organize. Put put first things first and act proper. Um, so this book gets real heavy. It starts to show the truth of mm-hmm. uh, humans in a crisis situation. Um... You said a good 
You go. You got a thing. Oh, it was. I've got the conch. I remember we read this in high school at some point, and then we also saw the movie. And the conch that they use to call everybody together ends up being like the talking stick, kind mm-hmm. of. So if you're holding the conch, you've got the mic, you've got the yeah. floor, and you're allowed to speak. And poor Piggy has the conch, and everybody's talking over him and ignoring him, and he like yells like, I've got the conch! <laughs> oh, poor. And it was um, parodied in an episode of The Simpsons. Oh. And um, Martin. Uh, oh, that makes Piggy. sense. That makes... Oh, I do remember that episode. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the overall theme um, is, uh, and this is just from Wikipedia, but uh, they're going to put it together way better than I could. Um, at an allegorical level, the central theme is the conflicting human impulses towards civilization and social social organization, living by rules peacefully and in harmony, and toward the will to power. Mm-hmm. That's a big power struggle. Um Things themes include the tension between groupthink and individuality, between rational and emotional reactions, and between morality and immorality. How these play out, and how different people feel um, the influences of these of these form of major. How these play out, and how different people feel the influences um, form the major subtext. Yeah, it's a heavy read, especially. It's like a book that. It is a YA book, right? It yeah. is. I remember reading it in high school. Like it was, you know, given to kids to read. Um, yeah, it's heavy. It's dark. Yeah. I mean, okay. Because I was trying to remember how this all shook down. Um, I'm going to deeply disturbed by their actions. Da, 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 da. Jack and his rebel band decide that the real symbol of power on the island is not the conch, but Piggy's glasses. The only means the boys have of starting a fire. That's right. That's how that right. all starts to shake down. So Piggy has glasses and they use um, the lenses, the to lenses start to start fires. a fire. They raid Ralph's camp, confiscate the glasses and return to their abode on Castle Rock. Uh, Ralph, now deserted by most of his supporters, journeys to Castle Rock to confront Jack and secure the glasses, taking the conch and accompanied only by Piggy, Sam and Eric. Ralph finds the tribe and demands that they return the valuable object, confirming their total rejection of Ralph's authority uh, Ralph's authority. Oh, I can't talk today. The tribe capture and bind the twins under Jack's command. Ralph and Jack engage in a fight. Engage in a fight with which neither wins before Piggy tries once more to address the tribe. Any sense of order or safety is permanently eroded when Roger, now sadistic, deliberately drops a boulder from his vantage point above, killing Piggy and mm. shattering the conch. Oh, yeah, it's so rough. Ralph manages to, manages to escape, but Sam and Eric are tortured by Roger until they agree to join Jack's tribe. Kids um, are dicks. It's heavy. Because you think, like, at the start, you're like, oh, it's a bunch of British boys on an island. This will be light and whatever. It's be real fast. Wrong. Yeah. Incorrect. Poor Piggy. Piggy, R.I.P. R.I.P.P. R.I.P.P. <laughs> okay, mine get a little bit lighter, I promise. Okay. Mine, well, we'll see. Um, next, I have chain letter by christopher pike this was in 1986 okay it's kind of i know what you did last summer before i know what you did last summer um christopher pike who i think if memory serves christopher pike is not his real name like christopher pike is a a character Mm. that the uh, real author created so that he could have like separation between oh. you know like whoever christopher pike is and who he really is mm-hmm. and either it's a different name or like it's almost like a persona 
that, okay. that he created. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm kind of, it's, it's in there somewhere. So maybe there's a little <laughs> truth behind it. Uh, Chain Letter was like a teen horror YA. Like okay. in the very early like R.L. Stein, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark kind of God. things. This was a little gnarlier because they were older kids. They were high school kids. Um, once again, this was one of those books that top falsely led me to believe that high school would be like, you know, mm-hmm. real fun, just like books and movies. No, mm-hmm. it's not. <laughs> um, so it's a group of like... God, I think it's like six friends or something. They all went to a concert uh, one evening. They end up getting lost. They're all drinking. Everybody's having a grand old time. And they are lost. And they live, um, it's set in Southern California. So they live like San Bernardino kind of, you know, so where there's, there are towns, but there are also big like areas of like unincorporated land where there's just like, it's just big dirt fields. Yeah. So they're out in this like deserted road and one of the girls in the car hits the lights so that oh, the lights go out. Like yeah, the headlights the urban go legend off. of that. Well, no, like she just turns the lights off. Oh, okay. And when she turns the lights off, the guy driving can't see anything. Yeah. She doesn't flash him. She just turns the lights off. And because she's just drunk and stupid and she turns the oh, lights okay. off. Because I've heard that as an urban legend. Oh, yeah. Where you flash you, the lights. Or where no. you just turn the lights off and it's supposed to be like when you turn them on. Something happens. Oh, well, this that? is like she turns them off and while the lights are off, they hit something. Oh, okay. And then the, the, it's big, you know, car spinning, uh, the lights get turned back on and somebody is like, I think we hit something. But whoever's driving just keeps driving, like just starts driving. Mm. And they're like, I think we hit something. And they're like, oh, it was probably an animal. It doesn't matter, whatever, whatever. And then one guy in the group says, you know, like, we have to go back. And yeah. he's kind of like the conscious, conscience of the group. So they stop, they go back, and they find a dead body in the road. But nobody knows if they hit him or Mm -hmm. not. Like, did that person, was that person left there? Was that person already dead? Did they hit that person? Because the lights were off and nobody can see anything. So they end up burying him in the desert and going home and making a a vow to never speak about it again. Mm -hmm. And then one day, a chain letter is sent to one of them got it and it tells them like you know like i know what you did mm. <laughs> basically you have to perform these acts um like look in the newspaper there'll be a coded message you have to mm-hmm. perform the act remove your name from list a and move it over to list b and then the next person on the list is going to be is going to so it's had all their names in like in a column okay and then you have to perform this act in the order that your name is listed, then you move yourself over to column B and then over to column C and then your debt is paid. Uh, I see, okay. And so the first column, like when they're looking in the newspaper, it's something like, you know, one girl is an artist mm-hmm. and they told her like to um, deface her own mural that she had done and was really proud of. Okay. Another person was a track star and they said, you know, lose the race on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, one girl, she's like the star of the school play and they said, flub your lines on opening night. Mm. So it was little things like that. And then the next column starts and it's a little more, a little gnarlier. Like the girl who had to deface her own mural now has to run naked through the school. Oh, okay. Um, and so they get like in every column, it's going to get harder and harder until basically once Mm -hmm. you make it to column three, it's nearly impossible to do it. So they decide that they're just not going to do it anymore and they're just going to start hiding like hiding hiding each other and so mm-hmm. one guy who's refusing to do it he's the brain of the group and he's just like 
no, fuck this. I'm not doing it. Like, it's not even real. Whoever it is is just fucking with us. It doesn't matter. It's not real. I'm not doing it. So they get help him skip town. Like one person in the group helps him skip town and hide out at a relative's house without telling anybody else where he is. Mm -hmm. And they can't get a hold of him. They can't Mm -hmm. get a hold of him. And then they find blood in his bedroom one day. Aye. So they're all trying to figure out, like, did he do that to make it look like he got hurt? Is got he the one that's wrote that's been writing these letters? Like, did he really die? Like, what's going on? What happened? And then they find out and while they're talking, everybody in the group knew where he was. Because oh. they're teenagers and everybody yeah. like spilled to everybody was oh my god, don't tell him don't tell him I told you, but he's going to Bakersfield with his with his aunt's house or yeah. whatever. So it turned out everybody knew. And yada yada yada, it's one of the guys. It's the guy who made them stop and go back. I see. Is the okay. uh, is the one who is behind everything because he has cancer, like he's sick, and okay. like he starts, he has a, a mental snap. I, I see, I see, I see. I see. So he's like a psychotic. He has a, a psychotic break, and he is the one that's behind everything. Yeah, um, but it. it was scary, and it was very, very like if you liked, I know what you did last summer. Yeah, like, this is a great book. I was kind of into. I was, I was ready. It's I was a on super the edge of my fast, seat. fast read. It's really good. <laughs> Uh, there's a little bit of sexy stuff in it, like just enough, like just a couple, like a little bit of a make out, little and taste, like, uh, like over the clothes type mm. of type of boob action. <laughs> it was great. Like I was ten when it yeah. came out, and I was reading it. So this You're is like, why oh. I never told my mom what I was reading, and she never checked. Um, and Christopher Pike has done tons and tons and tons of books. Um, some of them, there's a few series that are really good. Mm. Uh, but Chain Letter was the first one I read. And probably still, like, my favorite. There oh. was, like, a slumber party one. There was, um, God, there was, like, a series of three about, like, graduating seniors. There were, like, it was, like, a, The Last Vampire is another, like, series here. It's really oh. good. It's, like, easy, easy to read YA. Like, oh. beach poolside kind I of stuff. I might read it. You should. I might do it. Okay, so, I swear to God, I'm going to get past, I'm going to go beyond the 70s at some point um, with mine. But this is by far... Um, and it's one of those weird things where I don't necessarily remember specific plot points of books that I adore and love mm-hmm. if they're not fresh in my mind, but I remember how they made me feel, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. That sounds so. Um, but The Catcher in the Rye. <gasps> yeah. This was, okay, this says a lot about how I was as a young youth. Youth. This was my first literary crush. Oh, I was obsessed. I feel like this says a lot about me. I was obsessed with Holden Caulfield. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with him. Who I, wasn't? I mean, yeah. dark, brooding, feeding the ducks. Yeah. Moody. Moody. I loved it. It was great. Um, kind of a dick. Kind of a dick, but I was into it. Mm-hmm. Into it. Um, okay, so. Catcher in the Rye is a story by J.D. Salinger, uh, partially published in serial form in 1945 through 1946, and then as a novel in 1951. Um, It was originally intended for adults, but is read by adolescents for its themes of angst and alienation and as a critique on superficiality in society. Uh Um, It has been translated into almost all of the world's major languages. So... Let's get into the brief summary of uh, what the deal is with Holden Caulfield because I am not the type of person that remembers these things off the top of my head. A native New Yorker named Holden Caulfield. 
Through circumstances that tend to preclude adult secondhand description, he leaves his prep school in Pennsylvania. Okay, so Holden leaves his prep school in Pennsylvania and goes underground in New York City for three days. Um, the boy himself is at once too simple and too complex for us. Oh, I love it. It's giving, bringing me back. It's bringing me back. <laughs> to make any final comment about him or his story. Perhaps the safest thing we can say about Holden is that he was born in the world, not just strongly attracted to beauty, but almost hopeless. Hope. That's such a good sentence. I want to say it a lot. Okay. Oh, God, I'm too drunk. What's happening? I'm so sorry. Perhaps the safest thing we can say about Holden is that he was born in the world, not just strongly attracted to beauty, but almost hopelessly impaled on it. Oh, God. This is such a teen angst book. Ugh. There are many voices in this novel, children's voices, adult voices, underground voices, but Holden's voice is the most eloquent of all, transcending his own vernacular, yet remaining marvelous, marvelously faithful to it. He issues a perfectly articulated cry of mixed pain and pleasure. Oh, however, like most lovers and clowns and poets of the highest order, he keeps most of the pain to and for himself. The pleasure he gives away and sets aside with all his heart, it is there for the reader who can handle it to keep. That is, okay, those are not my words. That was <laughs> advice from Vanessa to go to goodreads.com. That is the perfect summary of this yeah. book. I mean, I think that's what attracts a lot of adolescents uh-huh. to it is this back and forth. And it's just a, oh, it's great. It's a great read. Oh, I haven't read that book in... I don't even remember how many years. I got to go back. I was I in my 20s when I read it. Oh, okay. I but, read well, it. Or when I read it last. Um, I I don't usually reread a book unless I'm uh, really obsessed with it. And I that was... I read I read it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think, honestly, the last book I did that with was probably Matilda Aww. as a young youth. I read that book until the cover mm-hmm. fell off. I love And then some. Um, yeah. Holden, Holden Caulfield. He's like so like, I don't know, he doesn't give a fuck, but then he gives all the fucks at the same time. Which is what Specifically of like. the word fuck. Yeah. yeah. That's um, what it's like when yeah. you're a teen. You don't give a fuck, but you give so many fucks. Yes. Yeah. That's a great one. There's also Franny and Zoe. Franny and Zoe. another great, yeah. great um, novel by the sound. By the sound. By the sound. What else was there? It was nine stories and then. Um, <gasps> yeah. Raise High the Roof Beam Carpenters. Oh, I've never read that. Yeah. I haven't read any Salinger since I was in my 20s. Yeah. Probably. I should go back. It's worth a revisit. That's what I love summers for. Mm. I still do summer reading. Oh, you're so cute. Um, so in summer reading is like my YA, like a feast of YA stuff. Oh. Yeah. I love that. Well, also a lot of bookstores, libraries will have summer reading tables. So they will put yeah. more, kind of more classic YA stuff out. Yeah. But, um, dip into it. Dip into that youth table. I'm going to. Um, okay. So my next one was uh, from when I was younger. I was a YA, a young, mm. not quite young adult. Um, and this was a recommendation of, from a teacher. And I just can't remember now if it was third or fourth grade but this was dear mr henshaw mm. by beverly cleary who did all the ramona i books. fucking obsessed with ramona Quimby, I, age eight yes and ramona Beezus. and Beezus. oh Ugh. loved them all um 
This was in 1983. Uh, the main character is a young boy named Lee Botts. Uh, he is given an assignment by his teacher to write a letter to an author. And he writes to his favorite author, whose name is Mr. Henshaw. And so he writes, you know, dear Mr. Henshaw, he has a bunch of questions. And Mr. Henshaw writes back, answers his questions and is kind of like jokey with him. Like, you know, it's a, it's a nice letter. He answers his questions and then he has a bunch of questions for Lee mm. to answer, mm-hmm. you know, to respond to. And Lee is just like, uh, fuck this. This is a school assignment. I don't want to like, write back and do more work. But his mom finds out that Mr. Henshaw wrote back and like asked him follow up questions mm. and that Lee was just like, I have no intention of like following up with this. Yeah. And she's just like, the hell you won't. He was nice <laughs> enough to write you back. You respond. Like you do the polite thing and you respond. Yeah. So he ends up having a really nice correspondence with Mr. Henshaw. Um, he's going through, I think it's like a divorce mm. and it might be like a change in school. He's going through like very typical kind of early adolescent issues type yeah. of, you know, issues. And um, his dad is kind of um, not there. Like oh, his okay. dad is like not around a lot, uh, working a lot or just kind of avoiding. I think probably okay. because the parents divorced. Dad's kind of avoiding the situation mm-hmm. and kind of not showing up for things, just not being available for visits and stuff. So um, Mr. Henshaw tells Lee, um, if you want to be, cause he says like, he, you know, he really wants to be a writer and he said, well, to be a good writer, like you should be keeping a diary. And so he tries to start a diary, but like, he can't really stick to it. It's not working for him. It doesn't feel right to him. Mm-hmm. So he starts writing in his diary in the style of a letter to Mr. Henshaw. Oh. So you find out like, like a lot of the letters you're reading are actually diary entries that just start out instead of dear diary, it's dear Mr. Henshaw. Okay. Um, and so he's getting out all these feelings and he ends up winning like an honorable mention in like this writing competition for school. And he's really excited because they get to meet one of their favorite authors. So he thinks like maybe he can meet Mr. Henshaw, but he gets an honorable mention so he doesn't place, oh. but then it turns out that one of the kids who placed higher than him cheated. Ah, um, and so he moves up a space and gets to meet with a uh, with an author. It's not Mr. Hendra; it's like a female author. Um, but she really praises his writing and says, mm. "Like this is really great. Like you know, you should continue." Blah blah blah. So it's just a really sweet, yeah, book. Like Sounds not like book. very high drama. And again, it was just like third or fourth grade. Okay. So this was a teacher of mine who I think just thought I would enjoy it yeah and, and I really did really and I saw some I've had good luck prowess <laughs> I've had Vanessa. good luck with uh teacher recommendations mm. like in high school a teacher recommended my English teacher um senior year recommended I read Dorothy Parker and I oh. loved her and it's because of Dorothy Parker that I got into like David Sedaris yeah. who I still really love so oh that's good They're good really on curious. you Mr. Mr. Merrill yeah. senior year high school <laughs> that is gr- okay so Mine is the obvious choice to round out my five. Um, and it's the only true modern YA book slash series that I've, I think I've read that's on my list. <laughs> it's Harry Potter. Uh, of course. Um, I'm going to try not to get choked up talking about Harry Potter. Good luck. But truly, and I didn't read Harry Potter when I was of age to read Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I recently just read it. Right. Um, in this year year kind of last year into Mm -hmm. this year 
Um, oh my God. I wish I had these books when I was younger. There's so much. Okay, so I'll, I don't need to look up anything for this because it's fresh in my mind. So young little Harry, he's a young little, um, long, young little orphan that um, doesn't know that he is a uh, wizard and he's living with um, some abusive AF uh, relatives, uh, Petunia and, uh, but his, his aunt and his uncle and the Dursleys and his like super bratty cousin. And then he finds out, oh shit, I'm a wizard. And he goes through all these things. His parents had died. Um, it's a whole thing. I probably won't be able to summarize it, but basically (laughs) there's such a theme throughout the entire books of following your own voice um staying true to mm-hmm. friendship and courage and honesty and doing the right thing and um and i mean I, I say honesty but not even it's sort of the more of the voice of the the struggle between light and dark and um staying i guess true to the cause i mm-hmm. guess more so because sometimes maybe it's not always the place to be totally brutally honest maybe right. that doesn't save your friend or save um really maybe it's not a way to be victorious in the situation but um, it's really like a place, I think, that gives a lot of people, like when you think of Hogwarts as the big castle, or they all, I mean, you guys all know fucking Harry Potter. But um, it's the castle that's sort of a place of refuge and um, uh, warmth for a lot of students that don't have that in their day-to-day life. And a lot of friendships are formed. And um, there are just some, like, there are some characters that are like, to me, being an older person, I see some of the characters as kind of like parenting goals AF. Mm-hmm. Like if I am Molly Weasley when I die, I will be a very happy fucking person because <laughs> she loves all of her children, um, but she loves them fiercely and differently in right. each in their own respect. Um, also Dumbledore with the way that he handles um, students' rage or they're not as some might discipline certain mm-hmm. um, actions like when Harry flips out in his office after all this fucking crazy shit happens Dumbledore as most people would probably say like hey you can't do that in here like you have to like be respectful or whatever he says like I understand right why you're so angry um, and also admits to having faults of his own which mm-hmm. I think is a, is a trait that not a lot of adults um really are dare to be so vulnerable in front of kids and um, don't show them that same kind of respect that you're asking from the child to show to you. So yeah, there's a lot of, of beauty and um, I'm listening to a podcast. I mentioned this podcast all the time, but it's Harry Potter and the sacred text and it's um, Casper Turkayle and Vanessa Zoltan and they are treating the uh, Potter series as a sacred text. Mm. And so they're going into different themes of love and courage and white privilege and all these different um, sometimes socioeconomic issues. And, you know, as you would find like in the Bible with love and blah, blah, blah. But um, and they treat it like a sacred text. And it's really beautiful and wonderful. Mm. So you guys should go listen to that podcast. So that is my YA experience. I have never cried so hard. Um at the end of every single book as I did reading Harry Potter. You mentioning crying just remember, reminded me um, of another book that I had left off. Mm. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to switch it up. Now I've got like eight books on. Yeah, let's do it. 
you can do the summaries from memory. <laughs> I ha- I, I struggle. can do like, some of them. I I, can, I can't do everything, but I can like do I know what happens in Harry Potter, but I can't tell you. Well, but a lot happens. In so much happens. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, you saying it was the most you've ever cried? Even more than Charlotte's Web, which like gut me like an emotional fish. Yeah. When I was a kid. Charlotte's Web is brutal. Charlotte's Web is brutal. Yeah. Um, This was more, uh, a more significant book to me growing up. Oh. This is, uh, it's Where the Red Fern Grows. (gasps) It's by Wilson Rawls. Where the Red Fern Grows is amazing. This was from 1961. It's the story of a boy who, um, he is kind of like a country mm-hmm. kid, and he wants to buy these two red-boned, red-boned coonhound hunting dogs. And he saves up for them, and he buys them as puppies. They're siblings. I think it's a boy and a girl. Um, before I start weeping, mm. the, the dogs do not live. Mm-mm. Like, the dogs die in the book, so fair warning. Um, I remember a friend of mine and I had missed school because we were reading this in third grade, Mm. but our teacher, Mr. Brandon, was reading it to us because it was a little too advanced to read just all of us on our own. So he was reading it to us. And this girl and I had both been absent on the day that we finished the book. So he gave us, we happened to be two kind of smarties. So he gave us the book and said, go to the library and finish reading. Like these are the, the... the last pages that we mm. read without you. Oh, your teacher gave you. Yeah. Okay. Here's the book. You guys have passes. Go to the library and both of you finish the book. I want you to finish it like before lunch or whatever it mm-hmm. was. So we went to the library and just like read it and sobbed oh. our eyes out at the end. Um, the title comes from He Buries the Dogs. And now I can't remember if one dies first or I can't remember what happened. But he buries the dogs and there is this legend in that part of the world that um red ferns grow like only in very special places like Mm -hmm. where something very significant has happened and where he's buried the dogs when he goes back sometime later to to see the graves or he he happens to be by the graves he notices that this red fern has grown in like on the tomb Mm -hmm. of the dogs and it's these dogs were like his childhood kind of like it's I can't get too into because I'll just start sobbing hysterically but it's like it's a wonderful wonderful book it's a really rough read because dogs don't live and when a dog doesn't live I fall apart yeah Um, (laughs) as Dr. Boyfriend knows many many times many many movies and tv shows that we've had to pause where he's forgotten that a dog is getting hurt or we Mm. didn't realize that a dog was getting hurt or dies and we have to pause it and he looks at me and is like yes or no and I'll usually say like oh, you have to watch it later mm-hmm. i can't watch it um but some other honorable mentions because my list could go on forever is go ask alice it mm-hmm. was from 1971 uh by anonymous and at the time when i found it and read it i thought it was real like a lot of people and i think it just turns out it was this like anti-drug propaganda oh that it was this uh, supposed to be the diary of this girl named Alice. Okay. And the, there's not a narrative. It's like there's not there's no narrative. It's just diary entries on pages, and it's this girl who is like, I think that she's in like a military family. So her parents moved to this new area. She doesn't really fit in, and she ends up getting involved with like the druggy crowd. Okay. 
And it's one of those books where like she had like a joint at a party and then two pages later, she's a runaway in San Francisco having unprotected sex and like injecting drugs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some entries, like it'll tell you like the following entries were collected on loose loose sheets of paper, many undated, the back of paper bags, um, you know, newspapers, margins, uh, fast food wrappers. And it's like, so she managed to keep this diary like, in order okay yeah <laughs> i never questioned it and then like much later like i read some some article that like referenced it and was like oh yeah this was like anti-drug propaganda like a scare tactic for young kids like mm-hmm. the dangers of drugs and alcohol and see what happened to this girl because in the end she dies oh. she ends up getting um dosed at a party and she has a like a gnarly acid trip has a psychotic break tries to kill herself and like ends up in a hospital and like they locked her in a closet because they didn't know what to do with her. So like they, she got locked in a closet because she was losing her mind. Like she was going crazy and being violent. And so like they put her in this closet until they could get help. And she like the, she has a description of like her face is all bruised and puffy. She's got like patches of hair that are ripped out at the roots and her hands are all like hamburger meat. Like she said, like the, her fingertips look like raw hamburger because she tried to like claw her way through the wooden door and stuff all because of this bad trip she ends up in a like psychiatric hospital uh recovers goes home and like two days like she writes this like like entry like well diary like you know like i think i'm done like i wanted to write this diary because i didn't have friends and now i have really good friends and i'm in a much healthier place so farewell diary thank you for being there for me blah 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 and then there's just like this like in italics like two days later her parents found her dead of an overdose Okay. So it's this really dramatic, like, but it's kind of like for me classic YA because I I one hundred percent thought it was real when I was like a nine or ten year old and I yeah. found this in the YA novel <laughs> in the YA section of like B Dalton. Um, and then I have just two more. I promise. I love it. Do it. Um, the perks of being a wallflower. <gasps> it's uh, Stephen. Chabosky or Chabosky, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name because mm-hmm. it's a toughie. It's C H B O S K Y. Okay. It was from 1999. Lead character is Charlie. Um, it's an amazing book I need to read that it. I love. It was, um, I didn't read it as a YA. I read it like I was mid 20s, I think, mm-hmm. when I read it. Uh, and then a movie was made. The movie is fantastic. Oh, okay. Um, I need to and get into that. Um, Emma Watson. Yeah. Hermione herself. So uh-huh. It's really good. Uh, and then my ultimate always and forever favorite book of all time, which I first read as a youth, um, is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith from 1943. I've um, never read it. I've heard of it, but I've never read it. It was There was a movie made of it. The movie ends about halfway through the book. Okay. Because uh, it's a long book. And you follow the main character, Francie Nolan, from the time she's like a young girl into very early adulthood. Uh, and then the book ends um, kind of in the middle of the book where she's still very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a fun time. I mean, ultimately, it's a good story. It's it's pretty uplifting, kind yeah. of, at the end. She makes it through. <laughs> um, but she's very young. They're very, very poor, living in Brooklyn. Dad's an alcoholic mm-hmm. who can't really – he's a singer – who can't really get much work. They, they're they mm. like singing waiters, they oh, call them. Oh, okay. So I guess this must have been a thing like in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Where they were like entertainers almost. Um, so they were hired like as 
you know, cater waiters kind of, but they also sang and danced and could provide entertainment for people. Mm -hmm. But he's an alcoholic, so he can't perform consistently. Everybody knows he's a drunk. He owes money everywhere. And they all know, like, you know, his long-suffering wife is, uh, she is the cleaning woman in an apartment building, like in exchange for like cheap rent or free rent or something. They've got the two kids and then she gets pregnant with her third Mm. and her dad dies. The dad finally dies. Um, it's really, really sad. Yeah. <laughs> because she's a young girl um, who loves her dad. And, like, he is, like, the light of her life because he's the fun one. Mm-hmm. And she's too young to realize that her mom was kind of forced into this role of the disciplinarian and the adult. Yeah. Like, somebody has to be the adult and get everybody fed and washed and make sure that there's enough money to go around and stuff. Yeah. So, um the tree grows in Brooklyn comes from they because they are uh, her mom kind of uh, manages the building sort uh-huh. of. Uh, they got the apartment with the nicest fire escape, oh. and so the fire escape is up in the branches of this big tree. Oh, so Francie goes out there with a blanket and pillow, and like a little dish of candy and a book, and so she can be up there shaded by the tree and kind of hidden by the tree so she mm-hmm. can look down on the neighborhood mm-hmm. and it's like her like almost like a tree house yeah for her um and i identified so Aww. hard with francie <laughs> as a kid uh i didn't my, neither one of my parents were alcoholics but they fought a lot yeah and there were many times when i felt like i had like books and like my room or like somewhere outside was kind of like my tree house yeah. that francie sort of fled to um, and it's just a great book and it, it ends up beyond like it, the movie ends right after the father dies. I see. Okay. But that's only about halfway through the book because, you know, it, it follows her through like her late teens. I think she's like 18, 19 okay. when the book finally ends. And so you get to see how the family kind of keeps the mom continuing to try to keep it together and. She used to be this really pretty girl in the neighborhood and she fell for this guy because he was really charismatic and he was a singer and an entertainer, but it turned out, you know, a really bad partner. Mm. Um, And she got stuck in this role of, you know, like the mean one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That sounds like a good book. It's a great book. It's Betty Smith. Go read it. It's great. She has another really good book called Joy in the Morning that's very, very sweet. Oh, I have to read it. About like a, a couple... Um, starting out their lives. Oh, I'll have to read it. I'll not be able to summarize it for you, but I'll it's read it. Kind of a bummer, just you know, because you know how I roll. <laughs> kind of a bummer. I was like, Harry, he's a wizard and a cake and a thing and a. Uh. Um, well, that's a people lot. People die, isn't it? Seven? Is it seven? It's seven books. That's a yeah. lot to try to summarize. It's a lot. A lot of shit happens. A lot. To ask. A lot. But Molly Weasley, it's a true MVP. She's the goat. That's true. <laughs> I have a game. Oh, okay. Okay. So, if you could choose any of your YA novels to sort of, like, transport inside and be able to become a character. Oh, God, they're all bummers. All right. Who okay, would you, who would you, what oh, book would man. you pick and who would you be? <gasps> oh, God. Oh, why did I pick such bummer books? <laughs> Shit, I couldn't have picked Little Women. Oh. Oh, okay. Then you All gotta right. deal with Joe. That whole thing. Oh. God, 
Who would I be in Little Women? Oh, I know who I'd be in Little See, Women. like, I remember, I, like, it's one of those, I'm like, did I read books as a child? And I did. <laughs> but, like, I just don't remember. Like, these were the ones that, like, stuck with me, I guess. I like them dark. It's hard to not want to be Joe in Little Women, but yeah. it's also really hard for me to not admit that, <laughs> or it's hard for me to admit that I would also like to be Amy because one, she gets the guy. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, he's always going to be Christian Bale. <laughs> um, but like, she just kind of knew what she wanted. Yeah. And it was just a, like, strong. look, like, oh, we got to get, oh, I got to get to places. Yeah. And I want pretty dresses. Um, okay. But my bummer books. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Hmm. It's going to be really tough for me to not say a tree grows in Brooklyn to be Francie. But it's such a fucking bummer. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, okay. And I probably do want to be Charlie. Like, he's yeah. he's the meat. He yeah. doesn't get the happiest of all storylines. He doesn't have any... It's not easy for Charlie. Yeah. But I think he's got the, the meatiest bit. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't really know that book at all. Well, you will soon. I'll I need to read it. Um... For me, ugh, I don't really want to be Holden Caulfield because he's a mess. Um, definitely not Piggy. Um, <gasps> but I've got the conch. Poor pigs. Pigs, no. Um, okay, who would I want to be? I feel like the obvious answer. Oh, wait. <laughs> What's uh, wrong with me? Um, I would 100% be. Minerva McGonagall. One hundo. One hundo. She is not a Capricorn because I looked this up because I'm a big old nerd. Stop. She strikes me as an earth sign. <laughs> She's very serious, but you know, like when, you know, she lets that hair down every once in a while. Right. Takes that right. cap off, lets that hair down. Um, Yeah. She's a badass. She's stern, but she's caring at the same right. time. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe Madame Pomfrey. You can fix shit up. Broke a bone. No problem. Boom. Boom. Solved. Fixed. Need a tooth pulled? <laughs> I know. Need a tooth pulled? Boom. Got Bang. it. Dang. Made a necklace Ding, dang, dang. Although also maybe Ron because he's super funny. Oh, Ron. I just want to be all of them. Can I just be all of them? <laughs> Can I be? The, I'll be the castle, please. Thank you. Thanks. They're all inside of me. Wait, what? Oh. No. <laughs> I've got the magic. All right. I don't know. That was good. That was good. That was a good game. Okay. That's it. That's all we got. Oh, I'm already out. Sorry. I'm leading my entire face <laughs> against the cool part of this microphone. Stand. That's it, you guys. Um, as always, like, listen, subscribe, do all the things, and go read some books. Read some books. I'm going to do it with you. We'll have a reading program. Reading party. Yay. Reading rainbow. Okay. Right. Lavar. Bye. Bye. Bye.